Before we get started today, we have a quick request. If you like what we are doing, if you listen to these stories and feel a connection or feel inspired or feel empathy or feel happy to have heard a different voice or a different perspective, please go to iTunes and leave a rating or a review. Follow us on Facebook or Instagram. Let us know what you think and add your voice to our growing community. Now, on with the show. This is Cocoon, Stories of Gestation. I'm Lizzie Heiselt. And I'm Valerie Best. Today we have a different kind of episode. Usually we focus on one woman or a couple and their transformative journey into parenthood. But today we're going to turn the microphone around. Instead of focusing on the mother, we're going to talk to a couple of women who were there almost from the beginning, who meet with women early in their pregnancies and walk with them all the way through, not only to the end of it, but beyond. If you talked with me when I was pregnant with my third or fourth babies, chances are I talked about my midwives. I talked about them all the time. I always had some nugget of wisdom that they shared with me, some insight they had helped me unearth that I was eager to spread around. They are not therapists, but I sometimes refer to them as my therapists. I kind of wanted to bottle them up and pass them around to every pregnant woman I knew. One of the reasons I started this podcast was because I felt that becoming a mother and the sometimes long and winding road that leads there is a transformative experience, sometimes more than others. I feel that, more than anyone I have ever met, these midwives get it. They get that becoming a mom is hard, and the difficulty can begin well before the pregnancy does, or set in much later. Their focus is not solely on the baby and the mother, but on the whole family, and doing their best to support the entire unit as they transform into something else. They are looking far down the road, anticipating any difficulties, and helping families meet them when they come. Before we get any farther, let's meet the midwives of BK Midwifery in Brooklyn, New York. Hi, this is Barry Malik. Hi, I'm Krista Leonard. So I was uh, graduating college and I heard about home birth and uh, it was very much a light bulb moment for me and I was like, I have to do that. Mm -hmm. I was living in New York. I called, I looked in the yellow pages and um, there were three midwives listed and I called one of them. She kindly spoke to me on the phone and when I said, how do you do that? And she, um, I'm not sure I would be so kind with somebody <laughs> called me these days with such a basic question, but she was very kind. And um, I found out you had to be a nurse and at that time that was the only way to be legal in New York State. There's different routes now. But um, I hung up the phone and was like, well, I'm not doing that because I'm not going to be a nurse. So I, uh, a couple weeks later, took my first job, an office job. I did it for a week, and then I was like, I think I can be a nurse. Kristen quit her job and got another one at the maternity center where she worked as an assistant while she applied to school. While she had never been interested in hospital birth, she trained in hospitals until she got a job at a birthing center in the Bronx, where she worked for a year until she had her own baby. After that, she stayed home with her daughter and had another daughter a few years later. And by the time I was thinking about going back to work, I hadn't worked for six years. And it was a, um, I was very, didn't know if anyone would even, if I was still a midwife, did it count, did, you know. <laughs> but I was able to get a job at Bellevue Hospital and um, where I met Barry. And we, and I worked there for a few years knowing I wanted to go to home birth but looking to get more experience. My family spent a year out of the country, and I knew when I came back I would start my home birth practice, and that was 10 years ago. So that's Kristen. Here's Barry. 
my history of midwifery is uh, long, and it officially started after I had my first baby 34 years ago, uh, in a straightforward birth at a time when people were really rebelling uh, against uh, hospital birth. I had her at a birthing center, and I was very impressed with the Lamaze method. At the time, I believe you had to be an RN to be a Lamaze teacher, so I started taking the prereqs for nursing school. And then I moved from the Bay Area to Santa Cruz and was exposed to uh, home birth. And uh, so I had my second baby at home, which was a very positive experience. And in between my second and third babies, I started taking photographs at births. And one of the home birth midwives asked me if I would be her assistant apprentice. So my, I had my third baby at home. It was actually caught by a doctor, Shelly Sella, who had taken off one year of her residency to study home birth. And uh, she was the assistant that got to catch my third baby. And then she trained me and another woman to be assistants for Kate Boland and Roxanne Potter. Barry apprenticed for five years before going back to school to get a bachelor's degree in nursing and then a master's and a certificate in midwifery. She worked at Stanford before moving to New York and working at Bellevue, where she first met Kristen. Then she took a year off to volunteer at a birth center in Indonesia, where, she says, she learned a lot about the value of a little Pitocin and a sterile OR. After she came back to New York, she worked at St. Vincent's until it closed, and then moved to the Brooklyn Birthing Center before moving to home birth. I worked with another home birth midwife for a couple months, started my own home birth practice, which I had for three and a half years, and then with, with Kristen and I talking and backing each other up and consulting, and then um, I was thinking about partnership and starting to look, and Kristen opened up to partnership in, in March of 2015. We decided and we started taking prenatal clients, and then at the beginning of 2016, we started having deliveries together in our practice. My little boy, Felix, was among the first babies Kristen and Barry delivered in their practice together. Before that, I delivered my daughter Elsa with Kristen. And before that, my boys Simon and Oliver were born in hospitals. Those deliveries were my first experiences in the hospital and where my path toward home birth midwives began. And pregnancy is for a healthy person. It might be their first interaction really with, with the healthcare system. People often have been to doctors or they've been sick, or, but to most people that you, many people that we meet, if you say, have you ever been in the hospital, if they've had a previous pregnancy, that's the only time if they had a hospital birth. Um, so if you had a positive, you know, experience in the hospital, that is all good. Like, it leads you to trust in that system, to trust that particular hospital. Maternity care is the gateway for hospitals in general. Like you're taking healthy people, you bring them into the hospital, you give them a good experience, and they're gonna come back with their sick parent, with their kid who needs their tonsils out, with, you know, they're gonna trust that system. And when we, you know, well, systemically, when we don't allow, you know, when we're, we're, we're hurting ourselves and hurting the system when we don't use maternity care as a good place to cr create and foster and facilitate that trust. 
it, so how you go in and how you come out feeling as a as a healthy human being, and pregnancy is a, is not an illness ideally, and for the vast majority of people, it's not an illness. So to to come on the other side of it and to feel many people feel disempowered that feel um, things are taken away from them, do not trust their bodies, um, things were often done to them that may or may not have needed to happen. And I, I see, and I, and I think there's a lot of evidence, it's not just me, I think there are studies to support it and people's experiences, that then now you still are talking about a young woman on the other side of her first healthcare experience, and now she carries that into the rest of her life around trust issues around her body, trust issues in the healthcare system in general. It was a little bit of broken trust and disappointment that had me looking outside the hospital system when I found myself pregnant with my third baby. That and the fact that a couple of my sisters-in-law had excellent home birth experiences. I thought that maybe I could do it too. Maybe it would be better for me and for my family. To be honest, I wasn't sure how the midwife experience would differ from the hospital experience, other than that Kristen greeted me with a hug and a kiss when she came to my house for my prenatal appointments, and she stayed and chatted for an hour. But Barry and Kristen clarified things a bit. So when you say, how do you treat women, that word has two meanings. It means, how do you medically treat them and how do you emotionally treat somebody? If I'm speaking to somebody who walks in and has no medical history, is a healthy first-time mom, I give them informed consent about the testing and procedures that are standard for the time period in the community. But I would approach them in terms of emotional treatment. You're going to sit and say, this woman is worried, how will she go back to work? And this woman is worried, how will I breastfeed with lupus on my meds? But it's basically the same worry of how am I going to be a good parent to my children? Mm -hmm. These worries can be pretty personal to each woman, and sometimes hospitals, in an effort to care for as many women as possible, can't afford to focus on the details. Not that they don't do their best or provide resources and support. We've heard in several of the stories we've shared how sensitive and caring hospitals are with families facing difficult outcomes like stillbirth or an unhealthy baby. Many hospitals provide lactation consultants to visit new mothers on site and even after they've gone home. But there are limitations to the individualization of care in a place that needs to be both fair and efficient. At home, we are allowed to we aren't subject to institutional protocols. There are many things that happen to women in the hospital that have nothing to do with um, people not caring about them or people not, it, it's just institutional. There are things that have to happen to take care of large groups of people in, you know, and make a system flow. And that may or may not benefit individual women. And at home, we can really do what benefits individual women. I'm a firm believer in Western medicine, and I happily had my, both my daughters in the hospital with the doctor. So before we get any further into the conversation, I want you to know that I asked. Do you think home birth is for everyone? I mean, <laughs> let, me, let me separate that. Like, no, you don't? Absolutely okay. not. All right, let me just ask. Yeah. Let me, do you think home birth is for everyone? No, no. I do not think home birth is for everyone. Can you expand on that? <laughs> well, I think a lot about it in, our, in the context of our culture. 
and I and I talk about this a lot when people come for consults and stuff. Is this is not a choice for everyone? That this is this is less than one percent of the population who are choosing this. So the moment you so first of all, it's only for low risk women who meet several criteria and stay low risk. And so medically, it could be for still a vast majority of the population. I still don't think it is not these days, not where we are in our culture. I think that if you choose home birth, you are stepping outside of, of what's the norm is. And you are really invite you, you have to be a person and a couple who can withstand that as a choice. I think that culturally there is so much, the tide is so against you if you're choosing home birth that to to choose it, you have to be willing to step outside of what's normal, stand up for, it, it becomes a political act. And birth doesn't need to be a political act and shouldn't be for lots of people. It's, you know, it's, that is not comfortable. And, but it, whether you want it to or not, it becomes a political act. And I also, I think it's so much about taking responsibility. In our culture, the way healthcare is delivered is is from a very, you know, paternalistic type model where um, care is given to people and people are taken care of. And so a lot of your autonomy is given up to that and you are taken care of and but you also get to give up responsibility. And that's pretty comfortable like to in some ways to you know not have to take responsibility especially when it comes to birth which ultimately comes down to a life and death I mean, you're talking about bringing new life, and in that, there can be death. So people um, don't really want that responsibility. And so it's a certain couple who are willing to take the... Because there isn't anyone else other than us and them to take the responsibility for whatever goes on. There's no system to blame. There's no, you know, it's... It, it's us. So you have to trust in your own, you know, you have to trust in yourself and then you have to trust in your caregivers and you have to have basic trust in the process. And I just, I don't think we're there. I don't think that's what most people feel. So, you know, um, and if you, if you can't trust those three things fully, I don't think home is the safest or the best place for you. Then there's uh, socioeconomic status. You know, I've had women who were in their pregnancies uh, losing their place to live, and I wouldn't necessarily advocate catching a baby at a shelter. You know, so there are times when, you know, the hospital's good for other reasons. But it it's true. I mean, what I was thinking of, and, you know, my favorite obstetrician was in practice. He was in practice for 30 years and not once did anybody ever walk into his office and say, okay, what's your worst outcome? What are the risks of me delivering with you in the hospital? So we, Kristen and I get challenged on a daily basis in a way that, that the system never gets challenged. And so, um, 
so it, so is home birth for everybody it, it's 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 not emotionally safe sometimes for somebody to be at home they're much more comfortable in this culture in the hospital so and that to go back i mean we talk about even the hospital when i worked at st vincent's st vincent's was an amazing hospital to have your baby because you got treated just as well if you had preeclampsia than if you were a normal third time mom walking in and just having a baby it was a really and the birth center at bellevue and probably there's a lot of great care that goes on um at bellevue now they have a great midwifery service and residents that seem to be kind and compassionate so so sometimes the hospital is a better place for somebody to be whether health-wise socioeconomic status or just emotionally okay so no home birth is not for everyone got it but midwifery is midwifery for everyone the midwifery model of care is is for the vast majority of people. It's a um, it's a it's a model that in other countries has you know it is the model. You know the you know I think the ideal model is uh, maternal fetal medicine specialists who specialize in complications of pregnancy and illness in pregnancy, and then the midwifery model of care, which tries to bring a more holistic. Um, approach and looking at pregnancy from a state of wellness, not a state of illness. And then knowing when it crosses into a state of illness and when people need a higher level of care. But uh, midwifery as a model is would be much more expansive in our in, in our country, it could be, than it is. I mean, right now, midwives attend about 10 to 12% of the births in the country, but there's but that model could be expanded um, and better, you know, use financially in our system and whatever. If it's, I think it's about a 70% model, 70 to 80% in countries where midwives are better utilized. Not only better utilized, but have much better outcomes. Right. Yeah. What are we, I don't know our current status, but we're pretty far down in industrialized nations for maternal fetal outcomes in pregnancy and birth and the maternal mortality rate in America. One of the best kept secrets is on the rise. For example, in 2015, the U.S. ranked 61st in the world for maternal health, the lowest of developed nations. While we don't know exactly why the U.S. is doing so poorly in caring for new moms, it is unsettling and certainly a cause for concern. There's no empirical evidence that shows a midwife model of care would necessarily lead to better outcomes for our country. But we asked Barry and Kristen what the ideal midwife model of care looks like. Kristen spoke earlier of the personalization of care that they can give outside of an institutional setting. When she came over for my prenatal appointments, she asked me how I was feeling, both physically and emotionally, which was not something I was used to hearing from my care providers. We would spend most of the hour just talking before she would pull out the blood pressure cuff and the Doppler machine. By the time I was ready to deliver, I felt like Kristen knew me and understood me and could support me in this transition better than anyone. A lot of it isn't having that deep respect that you are meeting people at one of the most open and vulnerable times in their lives. I mean, I think pregnancy itself is an incredibly open and vulnerable time, and then birth, obviously, is sort of the, the, the peak of that. And so trying to meet each person where they are. I mean, what we what we get to do in our home birth practice that 
I don't think either of us had the opportunity to do in our hospital-based practices is spend time with people and actually get to know them on a deeper level so that I think we both in the hospital tried very hard to connect with people and um, do what we could in the limited amount of time, but you really did have a much tighter schedule. And so being able to allow hour-long prenatal visits, the medical part of a prenatal visit on a healthy, normal woman when everything is progressing fine is probably five to seven minutes. Um, So the hour is spent on building this relationship and building trust and getting people, sometimes people are like, it could seem like you're just chatting or hanging out or whatever, but it, and you are, but it's, it's, you're creating a space where people can open up and you can learn about what is really going on for people. Because if you really understand what's going on for them, then you can actually take better care of them. And um, so it's also just being open to what people are experiencing and not having an agenda for, you've had losses, so I'm gonna make these assumptions about you or these plans for you, or clearly you would want this, this, or that. It isn't clear, it isn't, it's, you're an individual. And I also have to set down my expectations and my baggage around anybody else's issues as best I can and be open to what you know what they need. As we were talking I wondered why building this relationship was necessary. If it even was necessary. Did it lead to better outcomes? Was the birth process itself easier? The bottom line is what every human being wants is to be able to be vulnerable and still know they're loved. So you could go to the 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 scientific side when a woman feels comfortable and vulnerable physiologically and she feels safe in a primal way she produces more oxytocin and has a baby more efficiently she bleeds less you get better you know you get better outcomes so there's the benefit of that but the ultimate goal is not the birth for us I mean it's it's huge and an important piece and it's what we're trained to do The ultimate goal is for you to be an intact and empowered woman as you walk into parenthood. So if I torture you the whole time by being an authoritative figure and then two days later tell you, bye, you're on your own, where do you go with that? So I have to test you for gestational diabetes and help you either regain or move forward with an intact sense of self and trust. So when we participate in this, and even if you watch us participate in this relationship, it, the wholeness that you feel walking into parenthood is so valuable. It's not about you know whether you should have an epidural or not. It's whether you have been given informed consent and you choose what is right for you, which may be a hospital delivery with an epidural. Because I don't know everything. So it's not, it's not just about the birth. It's about, it's about helping a woman and a family and that baby come in whole. Well, and remain whole. So not everybody needs hour-long prenatal visits and <laughs> facing all their vulnerabilities and making them... 
they feel safe, they're whole, they're good. Can you, you know, check my baby? I know I want a home birth. They're, you know, they, they don't need all of that space. Um, but being able to offer it and being able to, you know, let women feel the power that they need to feel to go through that experience is what we hope to create. What Barry said about birth not being the ultimate goal really stuck out to me. I do feel that once the baby is born, there is a bit of an abandonment. You're good. You did it. You got your baby and everything turned out okay. But for so many women, the healthy baby, well, obviously the most important thing, was not the only thing. There was her well-being too, and her confidence and support going into this new stage of her life, discovering this new part of herself. So remaining whole, especially in this new role and relationship, seems pretty important. I had a lot of worries and wonders when I was expecting my third baby about how our family would adapt, about whether I could be a good mom to a girl after having had two boys, about anything that had nothing to do with my body, but everything to do with my mental and emotional and spiritual state. Those are things I felt like I could talk to my midwives about, and they were interested and concerned and wanted to help me find my footing, or at least a place to rest as my due date got closer. But even my mental and spiritual state was just another piece of the whole that my midwives helped me to be aware of. There was the family context as well. How was Micah feeling? How was the relationship between the two of us? How were Simon and Oliver feeling about the baby? And did we anticipate any tension or problems there? Even my relationship with my mom and sisters. It's all connected. Having a baby isn't just this physical process. You know, it's, it's, it's you know, so it's allowing space and maybe pushing people to look at what else it means in their lives. It's not just whether you grow a baby and it, comes out it's like yeah what's your what is it doing to your family system what is your relationship like with Michael how is it impacting that you know you babies come into a full context and that's one of the amazing things about taking care of people in their homes is you get to see them in their context you know you you get to understand them better I mean sometimes postpartum when grandparents come and that I'm, I'm woken up even more to how even though I've known them in their home and I feel like I know them I still only know people we we exist in such a larger context and understanding somebody's full we can't you know fully but it's trying to support them to look at it even if I can't look at it with them you know support them to think about what it means in their full context. I can't tell you the number of times either one of us or together have talked to women who have never processed their birth experience. They're in their late 50s or early 60s, and even their daughter might not know what her mother went through. And so we have the time and space to help families as a whole. A lot of men will say, I talked to my mother about my wife's miscarriage. I never knew my mother had three miscarriages. So it's it it of course when you were coming to see us it was all about you. Um, but it can be really expansive also and that's what we have the time and space to do not just touch that women but maybe even touch the whole family. At this point I was wondering about those situations that are really traumatic. I've talked about this before, but my first birth ended up being an unplanned C-section. And 
on the whole, it was pretty traumatic for me. The second was a hospital VBAC that I felt really empowered by. But what do you do about the trauma that's already happened? Yeah, I think that trauma is unresolved extreme stress. And so it's really great to be able to help extreme stress, which is birth at times, not harden into trauma. So it's not just about helping people with trauma that's already sitting there, but also not creating more trouble that they have to be burdened with and the chance to not carry that baggage forward to just be in that moment and yeah whatever unfolds and for the baby too allowing babies to come in even if they experience some extreme stress like a baby will come out and doesn't breathe right away so I do a neonatal resuscitation get the baby jump start occasionally baby needs a jump start and then that baby needs time to process that experience and I've seen babies kind of come out and be a little stunned after kind of a challenging birth and I see sometimes a baby that had a little trouble breathing maybe at the 15 minute mark wake up and go oh okay I was born and giving space for that can be really absolutely wonderful not not hardening extreme stress into trauma. Barry said during our conversation that you aren't brave for having a baby, you're brave for having a second baby. And I'd like to add, or a third or fourth. Not that it is necessarily bravery, but perhaps a hopefulness and a hubris that you can handle this because you've done it before. Now, longtime listeners of the podcast may know that it took me a long time to get pregnant with my fourth baby, Felix, and that I had several miscarriages along the way. I've met some of Kristen and Barry's other clients, and I know that many of them have similar stories of loss and struggle. I wondered how they approach those situations. Some of it goes back to what Kristen talked about earlier, about meeting people where they are and about setting down her own expectations about what they might need or want and actually listening to them so that she knows what they need or want. But there is more to it than that. Keeping that kind of stress from hardening sometimes requires being open to more than we can see. Well, how do I know it isn't your path to have had multiple losses? How can I judge that? Like, like I want to save you from it as a healthcare provider, so I want to do everything in the next pregnancy to make sure that you don't have a loss. But even loss, I don't, I don't know. I mean, you hire me, so you don't have loss. My whole inner gestalt as a midwife is for you not to lose anything to be harmed physically but I you know the minute you become pregnant you've opened your heart to loss Mm -hmm. and so the spirit the spirituality helps me walk with that gives me in this litigious society perhaps some grounding that things are bigger than I know it's our culture of perfection and litigation and that has added, our cohort has added to the insanity of what goes on in maternity hospitals. So there's little room for spirit and individuality there. Mm-hmm. So again, we come back to being lucky to be able to practice that. Mm-hmm. Uh, I mean, you know, there's some part of me that feels a little... Um, in this culture, 
uh, vulnerable or scared to say it, but the spiritual part of this is as valid and important as the scientific part of it. That's the wholeness. Mm -hmm. So, you know, I'm not going to go to spirit necessarily if somebody's having a postpartum hemorrhage. I'm going to go to bimanual compression, clot removal, and meds, and an IV. But, you know, extreme in normal birth is so rare that, you know, how do I approach Lizzie in pregnancy? I make sure that you have the informed consent about a sonogram, but spirit and knowing is so essential in diagnosis and guidance as a healthcare provider. I mean, it's so funny because the more I know, the the harder on a spiritual level midwifery gets. What is this baby coming to teach me? Uh-oh, what's my spiritual lesson today? So the spirituality of it is is so unknowable, but so wonderfully a part of what we do. Being able to share that spiritual side of the process or to discuss it and acknowledge it is a big part of being vulnerable. But the thing is, being open to the spirituality of life and death and birth can create a fuller relationship. It opens hearts up on both sides. Barry and I discussed this at an appointment that was particularly vulnerable for me. Um, so I remember specifically after finding out that Felix was a boy and I was not quite there yet. <laughs> and, and you had asked me something about you know, did you have, if there were any other experiences or I don't know if you even asked me if I had a dream or anything, but I did have a dream. I didn't remember it until like the end of the visit. And I was like, oh, I did have a dream a few days before my ultrasound. And I had been sure that he was going to be a girl. But in this dream, it was, you know, the baby was going to be a boy. And I came away thinking, okay, I have to keep an open mind. You know, I didn't feel like it was necessarily prophetic, but I should keep an open mind, you know, that maybe it could be a boy. And still, when I talked to you, I was not... It was not there yet. <laughs> so, I mean, you said something about what a gentle soul to come and tell you, you know, in that gentle way, <laughs> um, you know, to prepare. And and I remember that. I remember you telling me about, I think your third daughter, you have three girls, right? Oh, yeah. I remember this conversation. <laughs> <laughs> and, like, when she was born and you realized it was another girl and you were, like, really disappointed because you felt like that was... <laughs> not what anybody wanted, I guess. Well, it's that's so interesting. I mean, this is very topical for me right now. Talk mm -hmm. about being vulnerable. The reason I remember this is because I shared with you. I, I didn't go for sonograms almost 30 mm -hmm. years ago. And um, my husband at the time uh, really wanted a boy. And his family teased him. He's not man enough to have sons. Like, it was... You know, America's version of what a good something. Anyway, you know, and we wouldn't be good enough unless I had a boy and we had two daughters. And I asked her for, I asked for a dream for the baby to tell me. And I won't get into the dream, but she came and said, I'm your daughter if you want me. And that was around maybe 18 weeks. And so I gave birth to her. Um, and of course, the photography wasn't there, so I had come with a video camera, so I get to look at the birth where I have a little disappointment on my face, but this is part of my resume for pre- and perinatal psychology, and I was very disappointed. 
but not because I had a boy. And the reason I know this is because Sophie, who's my third daughter and one of our two birth assistants, um, asked just recently when I was talking to her about my side of the experience, she said, but did you want a boy? And then I was able to say to her, which was really healing, no, I just wanted your father to be happy. I didn't care whether you were a boy or a girl. And that was hugely releasing. And so I remember having that conversation with mm -hmm. you that your son, like my daughter, would give us a little heads up mm -hmm. and help us on our journey. Mm -hmm. Even if you don't know, you know, even, you know, I don't know your, you know, it, it's allowing space for it and maybe bringing it up for somebody to, you didn't remember the dream until Barry brought, you know, it's like, well, maybe just, I don't know what your dreams mean. I don't know, you know, I, but reminding you to even go inside yourself and find, you know, that these things, that it's not just physical. This is what I like best about the midwife model. The idea that what they want is what you feel is best, most right for you. Even if what that is takes you away from the midwifery model of care. Yeah, you, you have the right. I got to talk with a woman having her second baby. She'd had a very, very, very hard first birth, very painful back labor. And um, I got to speak to her, not as her, I, I wasn't her midwife, but I got to talk to her to help her process her first birth. And she was planning a second home birth and she said, something and I said well you don't have to have your baby at home you can go to the hospital and, and have an epidural or do whatever you need to do and a light went on inside of her like oh right I can choose I have the right to choose yeah you have the right to choose and so she played with that concept and then ended up having her baby at home and uh, and reported that it was a good experience for her I am so open to them deciding because I don't actually have the answer. Maybe she has an intuition and she needs to be in the hospital because something's going to... So that's the thing about just allowing somebody to... <sighs> My job is to help you be empowered and have a good intuition. But my job is not to tell you what your intuition should tell you. It may be that you have the intuition and I just went to... a. Uh, a, a film somebody made a film about one of my clients and she was she chose a c-section after a several day labor against the doctor and I's wishes because we thought oh you just need a and and she and she said but I feel like I need an, a c-section and when she went in for the c-section there was a medical complication that she probably almost 100% the baby would have died had she not had a C-section. So she came out of the C-section totally empowered. I'm getting goosebumps mm -hmm. just because the baby's now, well, she's six, and I just got to see her the other night. But that is my, please follow your intuition. And if your intuition says you need to go to the hospital and have an epidural or a C-section, please follow that. One of the things I think a lot about is 
it's not our job to save you from your experience. You know, if you were planning a home birth, I think most people planning a home birth are looking for a natural childbirth. They want, they're, they're trying to be ready to embrace whatever that experience brings them. And I don't see my job as saving them from their experience. Whereas, you know, working in the hospital, seeing the way people, a lot of people are very uncomfortable with the, the actual experience of having childbirth, people who work around it. And so they, they're like, don't you want that epidural? Like, you look like you're in a lot of pain. Like, we can save you from this. We can help you. And it feels like it's about that person's discomfort, not about the laboring woman's discomfort. And and I really want to, sep- I mean, I, I want to be comfortable with the discomfort of labor, which I, I think I am in it, but it's, I can't, I, I don't control labors. I walk with women through their experience. We have to be with each other, walk with each other, open up and share so we can better care for each other. That is what I'm hearing from the midwives. That is what was so important to me in my own experience in choosing a home birth and why I wanted to share it and them with you. Everyone has their own needs and hopes and expectations around childbirth and should know their options for how to see those fulfilled, whether it be through OBGYNs in a hospital or home birth midwives. My hope is that whatever choice you make, you find someone who helps you make the transition into this new chapter in your life with as little stress and trauma as possible. We are deeply grateful to Kristen and Barry for taking the time to talk with us. We hope you've enjoyed listening and that you've learned something new and that you have something to think about going forward. If you have any thoughts you'd like to share, please let us know on our Facebook page, facebook.com. What? Do I to say that? They can find us. Yeah, yeah, they can find us. WorldWideWeb. HTTP. If you have any thoughts you'd like to share, please let us know on our Facebook page. Thanks to all of you for listening. Thanks to producer emeritus Ryan Barnhart and musicians Ben Howell, Ellen Barnhart, and Tyson Schenk. And thanks to Micah Heisel, who once slept on a banana peel and was immediately recruited for the men's Olympic gymnastics team. Yeah.